continually have come to these words or had these words from Philippians 2, 12 through 13 um, be a point of tension in my understanding of what you're doing and also be a point of just fear of not knowing what to do with them. But Lord, I, I pray that this morning, yes, we would wrestle through the tension that we experience in these words. Lord, of working out a salvation with fear and trembling. But I pray, Lord, also that we would experience great invitation in these. Lord, to experience you and experience, as you say, how you were willing and working within us. Lord, I pray that we would not be one who, uh, ones who fall on one side of the tension or the other. Lord, not accepting the active role we have in our growth and our sanctification and practicing the way of Jesus for the life of the world nor would be ones who find our work being out of our own sweat, our own might as an ability to earn the salvation that you have freely given. And so, Lord, um, I recognize, Lord, that this is attention, so I just pray that you'd be in your spirit interpreting, bringing clarity. Um, but, Lord, where there is mystery, I pray that we'd sit in it. I pray we wouldn't try to control it. We wouldn't try to iron it out. We wouldn't try to... Um, figure out how we could sit over it, but rather we'd just be humbly in awe of worship of you. And so let your spirit be present. Let it be calling and doing as it does. We give you this time to you. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me read a number of cliches to you that all speak the same thing to our culture. Actions speak louder than words. Uh, You can talk the talk, but can you walk the walk? The road to hell is paved with good intentions. And as Elvis musically commentated, a little less conversation, a lot more action. All of these points are getting at the same idea that it matters, yes, what you think, yes, what you believe, yes, what you um, experience, but it matters in a great deal, and we can see what truly matters to you by what you do, what you're going to do about what you know, believe, think, feel, and what is internal to you becomes external through action. I was a theater major before I was in uh, ministry, and uh, my first uh, acting class, the final of it, was actually doing a scene with a scene partner, and I was working with my scene partner for the final, uh, like in our first time in the actual space, like we got like an hour to work in the rehearsal space, and so the first time that we got in there, man, we, we talked up and down everything that was going on in that scene. We talked about our characters. We talked about the relationship. We talked about our motivations. We talked about their characters' childhoods that wasn't in the script, but we secretly needed to know so that we had all of that information just deep inside of ourselves so that we were truly embodying them as people. We talked about everything going on in that scene. And then we told our professor the next day, I said, I mean, like, it was tough, but we really tore into this. And I think we really understand this characters and this scene. We understand in such a, a deeper way because of how much we've talked about it. To which our professor replied that we were no longer able to talk about the scene whatsoever. But we actually, we could use the scripted words, but we could not say anything in our future rehearsals outside of those scripted words because she realized we were falling into the trap of talking about the scene, but not actually acting it out not actually embodying it and actually living it into our persons. Yes, we knew about it, but we weren't able to actually put it on stage yet. And I talked, uh, or didn't talk, I heard an interview with uh, a producer. It was uh, somebody who had, you know, kind of made his way in the production business. And, and in this interview, 
he was asked, like, you know, do you get a lot of people coming up to you with, like, hey, here's an idea I have uh, for a script or for a show or for a character? And he said, of course, you get that all the time. And they said, well, what advice do you typically give to those people? And he said, it's simply this. Ideas are a dime a dozen. Everybody has ideas in the creative industry. Execution is priceless. He said, if you really have an idea, that's great. But everybody has great ideas. Everyone has a show that should have been made but has not yet been. But he said the people who actually are able to progress in the industry are ones who don't just have the ideas. They put them into practice and they work them out and actually get them on their feet. And yes, sometimes they do it by self-financing. Sometimes they actually get financing. Sometimes they're done terribly. Sometimes they're done well. But as they continue to move forward by doing it, they actually have ideas turned into reality and more and more opportunities befall them. And so why am I telling you all of this for this reason? Because we have been in this fall vision series, which we've called Practicing the Way of Jesus, in which we have talked about that the call that Jesus had in the early church and that as a lot of times maybe been lost in our time and day is yes, the call of the gospel is to believe good news. It is to believe that a kingdom has come And it is turning over the old kingdom in this world. That Satan, death, that sin is now being evicted from this reality. And that slowly but surely the kingdom of God is pressing in reality. And it's not only just bringing freedom to this world. It's bringing freedom to all those who believe and are claiming that their life has now been crucified with Jesus. And that their life is now hidden with him and his righteousness in heaven. And then that's good news. That we always want to live and have that good news be what fuels us as a people. But again, the early church didn't just see that as a, okay, we take in that good news and then now we just sit here and wait for this place to be torched until we now come into the kingdom fully. But rather they saw it as an invitation to push the kingdom into the world and to become more and more those who are natural kingdom dwellers, those who were made in the image of Jesus, those who were their full humanity in Christ. That to be hidden in Christ didn't just mean, yes, that you have the resume of Jesus. That is true. That there's nothing you can do to earn your salvation and nothing you can do to prove that you have salvation, but also that change would become inevitable in the human soul. That you would become increasingly more and more free and aligned to the way that he's designed you to be. And so we've been saying that week in and week out. And it's simply because we, as a pastoral team, have had a concern for us as a people is that we look around us and we say, hey, we have a proclivity to understand the gospel and to hold on to the gospel and to preach the gospel. And that's good. And man, we never want to get away from that. You'll never hear us get away from that. We want to be a gospel-centered church. But there was a concern is when we looked at just a survey, a health survey of our congregations last year that we said, hey, there are, there's a disconnect that's happening between our understanding the gospel and it bearing fruit in our lives. It actually producing a gospel-infused existence in our people. And so as we pressed into that, we wanted to come through and, and hit on a strong a uh, series that not only just preached the vision as we've been doing, but then is going to, as we've been saying, come back in January and go through mini-series that are going to talk about the practices of 
practicing the way of Jesus. And we're going to start at the beginning of the first week of January with a three to four week series on Sabbath and silence and solitude. And then we want to come back with pressing into prayer after uh, that and uh, pressing into scripture reading, pressing into fasting, pressing uh, into many of what have been called the spiritual disciplines or the ways that both we see in the life of Christ, the life of the church, and then church, uh, the church tradition throughout millennia now, practicing and engaging the Holy Spirit to not just become really good at fasting, but to experience Christ in a weakening of the body and in growth of the Spirit. And, and so many different ways that we want to press in and, and explain those to you as we go through. And we're going to intersperse those actually with going through a longer book. We always like to preach through books of the Bible. So we're going to be doing a practice for three or four weeks. Then we're going to do about four or five or six weeks in a book and then come back to a practice and return to that book and, and kind of ping pong. It'll make sense when we get into it. But that's kind of the rhythm that we're going to start out 2019 with and actually go through 2019 with. But before we take the break of this vision series, I wanted to just take this last wrap-up sermon in it and discuss the simple nature of it's easy to get vision for practicing the way of Jesus. Maybe even sometimes in that vision experience some good inspiration or idea, but it never actually being something that we put into practice, which would completely go against the spirit of this series. And so I want to talk practically, um, first just kind of working through some of the tensions of, I think, why we sometimes as Christians fail to actually put into practice um, some of the ways of growing in Christlikeness, and then simply give a vision for working out a plan in your own life. And so that is our roadmap for this morning. Uh, let's jump into it. Uh, I would love to say that this works in this really kind of nice, neat outline. It kind of does, but it kind of doesn't. I blame it on Thanksgiving and it just being a holiday week. Either way, turkey really breaks down the creative thought. Um, But let's first just start just like looking at some of the tensions of change. And um, the first, uh, I want to reread our text and and bring it out of uh, first, uh, not first, uh, regular Philippians. Chapter 2, verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, So now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So in this text, the first tension leaps out by simply asking the question, who is working in this text? Because on one sense, you can say, well, clearly it's us. Like, we are told to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, which, again, like, really messes with the Christian mind of, like, okay, we're supposed to be, like, afraid and scared that we're not saved or something like that, and we need to work really hard to prove that we're saved. I mean, I thought you just said that that wasn't the heart of the gospel, and and yet this text seems like it's contradicting that. But then you could also say in a completely different sense that in the next verse it's clear that, no, verse 13, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so some people take that and say, okay, well, what it really means is like God kind of like trumps your work and he kind of like possesses you and he kind of like just changes you like by you just all of a sudden, you know, getting zapped by the Holy Spirit and him just producing fruit out of you, which, yeah, okay, there's some 
some elements and some stories and some testimonies that would kind of bear something of like, man, there was just a time where I was prayed for and God moved powerfully in my life or, or I just had this sin or this addiction and then God just pressed it out in a huge breakthrough of his Holy Spirit. I mean, there's, there's something to that. But I think one of the reasons that we really struggle as Christians to not just embrace a, a faith that we believe but actually works out into our regular lives is because we really struggle to hold these two tensions in reality. That, that Paul's trying to get at the idea, hey, you are empowered by the Holy Spirit, and it is his power and presence that dwells and works within you. But there is a very real experience of you moving forward into sanctification by your own effort, which is a scary word in the Christian faith, because immediately it brings up this idea of like, are you trying to preach legalism? Are you trying to preach like you need to effort and to earn your salvation? By no means. Dallas Willard, who has been quoted several times and will continue to be quoted in this series because he is the, you know, one of the Yoda senseis when it comes to spiritual formation, particularly in the modern American mind, has been quoted as saying that grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. And it's to thin slice out. There is a way in which I practice salvation to earn my salvation. And that is not of the gospel. And it shows a heart that does not actually understand the gospel. That you are saved fully by the blood of Jesus through faith that is given to you by grace. There's nothing you can do. Ephesians 2 is going to say, hey, it's a free gift so that nobody could boast. If there was somebody who could actually work in such a way that God said, like, I just have to give this person salvation, that you would have such a boastful heart, you'd be prideful and be insufferable, and you probably wouldn't look much like Jesus. And so he said, hey, I actually took care of that by saying, no, that's not the way that you get in here. That nobody comes into my presence because they were good enough to earn it. But in fact, you come through the sacrifice of Jesus that puts your sinfulness on the cross and gives you his righteousness. And then as you step into that, then I actually continue to press that in through the Holy Spirit. But in a very real way, Paul's going to say, it's going to feel like effort as you press into that. As you work, it's not just going to be working and pulsing through your veins. I mean, yes, it is. But it's also going to feel like you are working out your own salvation, that you are trying to press yourself into becoming more into God's image. I know, again, this is the tension, but let me just try to illustrate this with some places we see throughout Scripture. The father Abraham, who is the beginning of the Jewish people, that he is, in Hebrews 11, it says that he's called by God to step out of his homeland and go to the promised land to become a new people that God is going to work mightily through. But it says in Hebrews 11 that it is by faith that he actually steps out and does it. That he's called then to sacrifice his son Isaac. That God says, hey, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And I'm going to do it by opening the womb of your wife who is way too old to be having kids. And she's just going to have a miracle baby. And then I, the first thing I want you to do is now sacrifice that child to show that, hey, this is not you actually just holding on to the promise. But it's you holding on to the fact that I can do anything and I will do anything. And nothing can break, the way that, uh, break my promises or the way that I'm working through you. And it says that by faith, Abraham, Abraham has to do that. That it's not just God saying, hey, go and sacrifice your son, and I'm going to now possess you and just make it effortless for you to now go forward and try, attempt to sacrifice your son. But no, he says he actually, in a real experience, goes through the grieving process as he's taking his son to 
what he believes to sacrifice him there before God stops him and says, no, this is not how this is going down today. But you see the Apostle Paul. I mean, his life is all sorts of like, when you see him become a Christian, he is blinded by God, knocked off of his horse, and told, you now follow me. And so you, clear evidence for like, okay, obviously it's like the method here of like God just possesses him and tells him, hey, this is what you're doing. But then you see Paul all throughout the scriptures write things like Second Philippians where he says, hey, and now I'm working and straining and beating my body and trying to now press into knowing Christ. And it very much so feels like real effort. And we come out of this with this real tension of, yes, I'm going to at times very intentionally with effort come and to push myself into more knowing Christ and to practicing things that I know are going to produce Christ-likeness in me. But then as God does in the scriptures and as I believe he will continue to do in all of our lives as we give more space and more time, we see that yes, it probably didn't feel like God working and willing in you at the time. But as you pull back the, the lens of eternity or you pull back the, the screen and look through the lens of eternity, you see that it is actually God in my circumstances, in my scenarios, in all things, simultaneously working through me. How do those things hold together? I have absolutely no clue. I don't know that Paul does, but he seems to hold them together very comfortably. And again, I think this gives us clear understanding of that you don't have a passive role to play in your faith. That there is a real call to real action. And this, again, makes us nervous, and I think it makes two groups of people nervous, and I just want to speak quickly to both of the groups. It makes one group nervous because, if you're honest, you just really have no intention of growing into your sanctification and Christ-likeness. And I've spoken to you earlier in the series, and I want to speak to you, and I want to speak to myself because there's parts of my heart that I'm still here to. The New Testament doesn't have a category for you. I mean, all throughout the New Testament, it's going to call people into following Jesus, and then it is going to say, hey, the gospel will change you. It will move in your heart, and it will not leave you unchanged. That when God comes and he through no work of your own, saves you and transforms you and brings you into your family, you don't now then go out and work to try to earn that, but there will be a fruit. And there's all places, I mean, in Jesus' parables where he's going to talk about, hey, it's like a sower scattering seed all over the place. And some seed is going to fall and it's going to be on the road and it's just going to get eaten up by birds and and it's not going to take root. Another seed's going to fall on rocky soil and it's just not going to be a place where it can really bear any fruit and it's just going to die out. But then there's going to be some that falls upon soil, and that's going to bear rich and deep fold, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. And that's where you get James chapter 2. And James is saying, hey, if you have faith and it doesn't produce works, then that means the faith is dead. It doesn't mean that, hey, you better work because that work is now going to show that your faith is real. It says, no, that that when you press into real faith, when God really starts working in you, it will produce fruit. That there's something about just dwelling on the beauty of the Lord, 2 Corinthians 3 says. 
that will transform us over time. Now, let me jump over to the other group because right now it's the other group of people that's freaking out. And that's the group of people that you're here and you've been trying to change. And you've been working and you've been trying to just like figure out like, okay, yeah, I know it's supposed to be like, I'm not earning my own salvation, but yet I, I, I want to like learn to be more forgiving. And so I'm trying to forgive, but it feels like I'm just trying to make my heart do something that it's just not inclined to do. Or I, I, I want to be more patient and, and more loving. But I mean, in reality being said, it just seems like I take one step forward and about 20 steps back. And like, that's just my, my spiritual life. And I would say that this text It's trying to warn those who see themselves as having no responsibility. And it's trying to comfort for those who are are finding that sanctification is like a death march. That yes, you may have had some bit of a conversion experience where man, like God moved powerfully through you and maybe that was, he just moved and shaped your life really powerfully for a month or a year or a decade. And then for whatever reason, there's this sense of now realizing now I'm uncovering a lot more sin and it's a lot more difficult than I thought it was going to be. And, and, and frankly, I, I don't know if I've uncovered more sin or if I pressed into more Christ-likeness in the last little bit. And I think Paul's trying to say to you, hey, don't give up. Because it, it, it is God who his power is working and willing within you. And so, yes, it might be hard and it might be the sense where you feel really disoriented compared to when you started this whole thing. But don't let go. Don't stop moving forward. Don't stop letting grace push you forward, not into earning, but into efforting deeper and deeper union with Christ and deeper and deeper sense of generosity and peace within your soul and continuing to do things that will promote this and will connect you to the Holy Spirit who is very much so working within you. And so, as I said before, there's a tension here that I really think is far above my pay grade to work out for you. But it's one that that Paul's going to put forward in, in Philippians 2. And say, hey, I want to warn those who find themselves in this unprecedented category. Of just like, well, I'm saved and that just means I just sit here and wait for it all to go for me. But then I also want to console those who find themselves battered around by the sanctification that God has been putting them through. The suffering that that Gary talked about a few weeks ago. And and to say, no, keep moving forward. Because it's God who's working in you. And so... With that being one of the tensions, I think, that we want to hold on to, I think we also need to understand one of the reasons that we fail to really step into sanctification in our lives as Christians is through the tension that I've already mentioned a couple times, but I want to hit explicitly, that God works both through breakthrough and through process. And so he'll work through breakthrough. And some of you, again, have experienced that whether it was at the moment of salvation for you or maybe just a time where like somebody invited you to be prayed for and you received prayer and some sin, some addiction, some uh, maybe physical uh, ailment or sickness or something just was eradicated for you in a moment. That God worked powerfully in his Holy Spirit in a breakthrough kind of way. And I, I, I've talked about, I have a friend who just was a long time drug addict, 
and was, had his entire paycheck. I, I mean, I didn't know him at this time, but he just describes, like, I had my whole paycheck spent before the time that it come to me on basically promised drugs. And uh, so I'd promise that out, and then I would be eating out of a dumpster. And it was literally, I mean, he literally has the in the dumpster confronted by Jesus story. And in that moment, he said that he gets out of the dumpster And because Jesus has confronted him and moved in his life powerfully, and for whatever reason, he took his addiction away in the spot, never suffered withdrawal. And so he said, I had that clear story. But if you sit there and talk with him, he said, man, breakthrough was powerful. But here's what I've noticed in life. That it's not, they're they're beautiful, but they're rare. And they are not ever holistic of just a person is breakthrough, like dead in their sins, to alive in Christ fully. Because, again, if you talk to people about their breakthrough moments, man, I was just prayed for and, and I was healed. I mean, there was just anxiety that was just taken and lifted from me. There was a burden that was just taken off my shoulders. It'll talk, they'll typically talk about freedom. I was freed from this burden, this pain, this something. Or they'll talk about healing. They'll talk about less, though it's not completely unthinkable, a breakthrough character transformation of I was completely impatient and I was prayed for and patience has filled me since every day moving forward and I have never struggled with my annoying co-workers again and there's never like been that I mean not never I mean again I, I suppose there's a room for stories like these but the truth is, is that God works in breakthrough but a lot of times particularly for these character growth and character development he works through process a slow going, a daily praying, and God, would you move in this? And would you move in this again? And would you continue to root this out of me? And would you be, it creates in you the prayerful heart of the persistent widow who's continuing to beg for justice, or the person who's knocking and knocking and knocking, as Jesus says, on the door saying, I really need you to show up. And the person who is going to scripture again and again and continuing to rewire the ways that their lives have been worked in their minds and, and realigning it to know who God is and to learn about him and study about him and memorize and put it deep within their heart so that the truth would actually start to, to find itself coming out of them. And, and the people who are in community and are in relationships, so they're confessing and they're continually to ask, like, hey, can you pray for me in this? And I, I want to really press into this area and I really need you to pray for me, not just after I like fall into temptation, but I want to pray and, and text you before I fall into temptation and pray that I wouldn't and, and then also pray that I do and then pray for forgiveness and, and I want to continue just to be known by you and then to bring what is empowered in the dark into the light so that it might be brought into just a light that would destroy it. And, and there's just coming and trying to forgive people in community again and again until patience and generosity and the fruit of the Spirit and all these things work themselves in, but it's very much so a process. Sometimes a breakthrough. Those are beautiful, but they're rare. And in that, I think a lot of us are prayerfully hoping for a passive possession and breakthrough in our sanctification. And meanwhile, missing page after page after page of the New Testament where Jesus and Paul and the other authors are going to invite you into a process to step into exerting yes effort that will be humbling and will be difficult but 
is not to be given up on. Because as history pulls back, you see that the Holy Spirit has been empowering and moving forward this entire time. And in light of that, I want to just spend the rest of our time getting really practical and talking about, okay, if that's what we're called and invited into, that's the tension that we're holding on to, then how do we simply just step into this with a practical process and plan. And let me just really quick address the people who, I mean, there's somebody right now in your heart of hearts or maybe more in your, more uh, higher up in the surface than that, say like, well, but like process and plans, this is just not how God works, which is always a fascinating statement. I mean, I've said it, I've said it. And the more that I read the scriptures, the more I can tell you the way that God works is, I don't know, because uh, like he pretty much does like what he wants on pretty much every page. And not only is there a sense of like, okay, yes, God does work through breakthroughs. Sometimes he works by breaking nature, but he also is the God who created nature. I mean, you look at the creation story. It's not just God being like, you know, random animal, and now it's going to be day, and water comes up. Like, there's a rhythm and a order that he brings to chaos, and he creates nature. And yes, he sometimes shows up, and then Jesus will just like break it and be like, hey, I, I want to break the way that nature has been distorted by sin. But a lot of times you see God working in a process with a plan. That it, the Bible's going to say that before the foundation of the world, that God planned for Jesus to come and to be born and to come into this world and to live the life that we could not live and to die and sacrifice himself for the sins and death and to destroy his enemies. And that that happened before time began. God is very much so a planner pretty early on in the process. And so God very much so works through plans. And you see, again, in 1 Corinthians 9, See, Paul talking about, it says, hey, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? Now, I know if you're a millennial, I lost you because you said, hey, we all got a prize. Well, this, this was actually a while ago, um, and this was before uh, that happened. And he says, so run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. He's getting at this idea of like, hey, there's an order that I want to bring to me becoming more a kingdom resident, more in a fullness of my humanity, more like Jesus. And he talks about just this idea of being a disciplined one. And again, what we've been just putting before you is the idea of these spiritual disciplines. I mean, there's a ton of spiritual disciplines. I mean, really, there's no official list because you can just look through the scriptures. You can look through church tradition, and there's all sorts of ways that people— here's ultimately what these are. They're not ways of getting really good at skills. They're not ways of earning one's salvation. They're just ways of opening yourself up to participation with the Holy Spirit for your sanctification. And so they are bringing your body, your mind, your soul, as we talked about last week, your whole person into alignment and into partnership with the Holy Spirit. Yes, God does the work. He does the heavy lifting. He works and wills. And this is us just, just bringing ourselves into alignment with that work and that will. And so there's things like silence and solitude, prayer, fasting, Bible reading, meditation, memorization, living in community, practicing a Sabbath, uh, being a part of the Sunday gathering, 
which includes worship as singing, corporate prayer and confession, the bread and the cup, uh, being under teaching, serving, uh, living simply, uh, grieving and processing pain in one's life, celebration, just the art of, of enjoying and celebrating and, and uh, getting used to the wedding feast of the Lamb that's coming for us. Secrecy, which is actually like presenting yourself to serve and to do things, but, but not blaring it on an Instagram account, but rather just like having it there. And then gratitude, learning a, a heart of thankfulness, a heart of appreciation where, where God has provided. And there's tons more. But let me just um, simply go for you. And some of you were here last week. I tried to run through uh, what is what I call for myself a rule of life. And I didn't come up with that title. This is actually an ancient process uh, come up by St. Benedict, I believe, is the first to kind of popularize the idea of a rule of life. And essentially what it is, is not like this rule of like, I want to create all these rules for my life, but more was like a sense of like, no, it was a plan, a measure for my life of how do I want to move forward into Christ-likeness. And so uh, this has been a tradition that's been adopted throughout time, and essentially it's what we're talking about today. It is a plan. It is a plan for growing in Christ-likeness. And I just want to lay out, I lay it out one way, which is actually really still kind of the early phases, uh, and then maybe even uh, if the slides might work lay out um, a second way. And so I lay mine out just by a daily, weekly, monthly, annual uh, intentionality. And so uh, here's the daily. Um, right now, it looks like uh, every, six, uh, every morning, I just want to start my day with 6 a.m. prayer. Uh, this is usually me and my wife. Um, I've talked about this before. I use prayer cards to kind of like really keep myself focused. I use a timer to kind of like, okay, let's do five minutes of thankfulness to God. And then the timer goes off. And then we're like, okay, let's do like, let's go through just prayer cards for so many minutes and just pray for a lot of you. I talk to you and I hear things and I write them down on a card and you get a little card and it comes up every so often. Um, there's daily prayers that we're praying for people on those cards. Uh, and then we'll just pray for our days. We'll pray for each other. Uh, we just kind of go through these rhythms of praying. Or then if my wife's not there and I'm praying by myself, I'm doing these rhythms uh, by myself, but I'll have that. Um, and then uh, I morning workout and sermon. Um, this is just something I talked about last week, that we are whole people, and everything is a part of forming yourself. I, I, I want to align all of me to be in a line with Christ. And so I just talked about in this season, it's been a season of struggling with, with some depression and anxiety, and I found that like a morning workout is very much so a part of my like aligning myself to worship and to be in the presence of Christ. And, and I want to do that not by just like thinking about random things or hearing sports highlights or whatever. I just want to like press into a sermon where someone's proclaiming truth over me. Um, and uh, again, if you were here like last week, you heard this, but it was, I had to run through it so fast it wasn't helpful for anyone. So I was like, let's, let's retract this. Uh, and then I have a dinner devotion with my, with my kids, with my family. We just like do a simple page where we read a page of the book, a truth about God, and it's going to point us to a scripture. And then we pray about that. Um, and then l- just to let you know, okay, here's where I just realized as I was like making this, I was in this last season or uh, over the summer, I was listening through the scriptures and then there came a point where I just was like not experiencing fruit from that. And I kind of pressed through for a couple months. I'm like, oh man, I'm just not getting fruit in like kind of this place where I'm at in my Bible reading plan and listening. Um, and so I started retooling it to do, um, uh, a more intentional inductive Bible study, which is a form of studying the Bible that you can look into if you're interested. It's just a very, just a very rigorous approach of studying scripture really slowly. Um, but because I'm doing that, I have to now re- reorganize this into my day. It's not there yet. And so I'm a pastor. It just slipped right out. And so now I'm just going to slip it right back in. So there's a lot of freedom in this. Um, and then uh, I also want to consider re-adding midday uh, meditation, just a time to slow myself, my heart around 
just God being present in the middle of my day, uh, maybe for two, five minutes, being silent and just contemplating the fact that I can be still and know that he is God. Uh, then there's the weekly. Uh, right now, uh, the weekly uh, Sunday gathering is part of that. You're very much so participating uh, in my rule of life right now uh, in your own. Uh, Monday is a Sabbath. It is a day, a 24-hour period of just turning off, turning myself uh, off from work and the achiever in me and trying to commune with God, communing with my family, spending time with friends. Um, there's a prayer is always a big, uh, prayer in scripture is a big part of that, um, as well as just, uh, yeah, my my boys now, we all start it now with a song. Um, so we sing like one of the few songs that they know, which is like Jesus Loves Me or something like that. We start that in the mornings and it's just kind of like, it's marking our day as Sabbath because this is a time where I shut that off of all the things that competes around the world around me and I cue into what God is doing. Um, and Tuesday, uh, my Mitchell Community Meets, Friday, I've been just trying to do a Friday fast where I fast until 7.30. Uh, again, this is not to be good at like just starving myself, but just a time to weaken myself and to understand the spiritual uh, weakness that is, is just very much so real in me. And it's just amazing what God pushes to the surface uh, in times like that. So I've been doing that uh, regularly and then breaking that at 7.30. Uh, and then having a date night with my wife is very much so part of my rule of life, something I'm prioritizing. And then we have a sync meeting. Uh, that's important because that's a point on Sunday afternoon. After this, I'll go home. I'll sit down with my wife. We'll have a sync meeting in which we will look at the next two weeks, and we will look at all the places where we have just time, and we'll decide. Do we want to use that time to rest? Do we want to use that time to, to meet with a neighbor that we haven't gotten time with or meet with a friend uh, or, or connect with somebody else? Or is that, you know, like what do we need to use that time for? So we just, it's a time to just like look at our calendar and our schedule and say, how are we using this? How are we using this to align ourselves, as we said last week, into uh, becoming more to the image of Christ. Uh, as I noticed, I had a place, a weekly call of a family member that just kind of slipped out. So that's something I need to, to add back in and find the time to do that. Then I go to monthly. Um, and the monthly, I take a monthly renewal day. Uh, this is just one day a month. Um, I, and my uh, wife takes this too. One day a month where we're, uh, we don't take it at the same time, but when I take it, I'm out of the house. I have scriptures. I have songs. Sometimes I go and I, I play like on the piano, just pound out some hymns and uh, I'll take a part of that day doing that. I'll take a part of the time um, being out in nature at times, just, you know, uh, being uh, present to God there. Uh, it's just a time to, uh, it, it sometimes looks very similar. Sometimes it looks, uh, you know, just time journaling to kind of press into what God's doing. Um, it's a really, sometimes this is the, one of the harder days of the month. It's just a hard, like sometimes it is really hard for me to slow down and sit in the presence of God for a day. But it's something that I feel that he's continually doing in me. And so um, I, that's something our pastors do. And it's something that I, we, again, we, I want my wife to do. We're trying to get everybody to do this. Um, and so uh, Renewal Day, uh, discipleship group, uh, we meet together two times um, a month just so we can be uh, knowing and praying for uh, what's going on in each other's lives. Our MC serves with Like a Lion once a month, and we have a hospitality night once a month. I mean, some of these we build into missional community because this is the idea of just having a plan and having rhythms. And, and it's just really helpful for me to get to hospitality night uh, in our missional community where we're going like, to have like a, a party on a Friday night and invite friends. And it just makes me like, think, like, when's the last time I talked to my neighbor? Like, when's the last time I talked to this person who I'm now going to invite? Uh, because I'm going to invite them because I've told everybody else in my MC that they need to invite people, so I can't be the hypocrite here. And so uh, it's just going to continually press me into that. And then uh, lastly, annual for me. Um, my wife and I, we have a family retreat we're going to do over between Christmas and New Year's 
We give our kids to whichever side of the grandparents we are with for a whole day. They partner with us in doing this. It's very helpful. And uh, we just go and we talk about like vision for our family. And we talk about goals. And we talk about like what do we want to do in 2019 as a family? And like what do we need to do to get that in motion and put that on the calendar? What do we want to do spiritually? What do we want to do in family? We plan out vacations and get those really planned. And, and we plan out generosity. Like what do we want to give to this year? What do we want to push ourselves in that? Uh, we plan out celebrations in just our lives because we want to be good at celebrating because um, that's very much so uh, just a part of our, our growth in Christ. Um, and so uh, let me just say, I am not a type A person. A quick look into my car or any drawer that my wife gives to me for my own will show you that this is not me like just being like, well, I, you know, like I plan and so can you. It's just a sense of me realizing that if I don't plan, culture is going to continue to shape me. And there's just so many ways that my phone and the way that consumerism and just the call to like, oh, don't think about others and don't think about your eternal soul. Just think about right now and think about this is going to have a really profound shaping of my life. And so this is just after years of like realizing, man, I guess it's not just going to be God possessing me. Um, and, and just hitting these breakthroughs all the time, but rather a call into participation with this. And I'm, I'm going to press into these things. Um, Really quick, there's other ways to do this. Um, Pete Scazzaro writes Emotional Healthy uh, Spirituality and also Emotional Healthy Leadership, in which he talks about his rule of life. Uh, do I have these? Are these up there? Uh, he organizes these differently rather than time. Is, that, is the next one up there? Yeah, okay. He just or does categories. So he has the category of prayer, rest, relationships, work. And here's his prayer, just weekly Sabbath, Lectio Divina. I mean, he's been doing this for a while longer. His is a lot more robust. You know, God bless him. I'm working there. And, uh, and this is just the point. It's like start where you're at. You know, he's journaling regularly, silence and solitude, uh, prayer of daily examine. You can look into that. Don't have time to get into it right now. He wants to read Desert Church Fathers right now. He's got his day alone with God one to two times a month. God bless him for that too, man. Whew. All right. Uh, and then the next thing, he has rest, exercise five to six times a week, well-planned vacations. I, I was putting this out today. I'm like, hey, I've got some of these, like, we've got some overlapping ones here. Uh, two-thirds of his day off on Fridays, uh, reading broadly, library visits, you know, seasons of therapy, going to the beach, being in nature, hiking and biking, limiting social media, limiting speaking. His next category relationships, uh, the fun with technology right now that we're having, get small. Uh, we zoom in on relationships. So it is attentive uh, to fun with his wife, Jerry, engaging those are his kids, staying in good communication with siblings, regular mentoring, uh, being present with his staff, participating in small group, time with friends, uh, vacation, holiday, all that. So the next uh, category, I know we're just having to run through, but I'm trying to be sensitive to time. Um, and then work. He's just, here's the, in his work uh, category, he puts these all on one page. And so these are in four different quadrants. Uh, and it's, it's just personal development and mentoring staff. And here he's preaching at his church there. Uh, he's a pastor in New York. And he, uh, you know, all these different things. I mean, you can see overseeing his finances at home. He puts in that category. He just puts all these before him. And it's, you know, similar to Greg McEwen's point in essentialism. He says, hey, your life is not much different than your closet. If you put something more into it, something else will come out. And so he just says, okay, what are all the areas of my life? And let's put them before me. And let me ask what I intentionally want to put in and what I intentionally want to take out. And this is just a way of doing this. Not just to show you these, but just to kind of give you, okay, you're like, all right, maybe you're convinced. Maybe you want to do this. How do you actually get started? Let me give you just some starting questions. These I found are really helpful. Um, starting questions, and these are from uh, Peter Scazzaro, I thought, and then I added one for myself. Uh, uh, so one is he says, hey, what do you currently do that nurtures your spirit and fills you with delight? What are you just currently doing? 
that just like, man, this connects me to God. And uh, this is, this gives you a lot of freedom to understand how God has designed you to experience him. Gary Thomas writes in a book, Sacred Pathways. He says, as far as his count, there's nine ways he sees people connect with God. And they're not all just like the, the fasting uh, constantly person though he says that's a part of it. He said, here's just the nine really quickly. Naturalists, people that experience God in nature, getting outside, going on a hike, walking, experiencing him outside. Uh, sensates, those who experience God in good food and good drink and hanging out with friends and being together and just in the senses. Um, traditionalists, people that find ritual and symbol really helpful and really centering and really connecting them to God. Um, aesthetics, they're just people that, man, they love simplicity. They love removing the distractions from life and just being able to be present to God. I mean, fasting for them is actually a life-giving rhythm. And you're like, there are people like this. Maybe you're like this. That's awesome. You are made in the image of God, and I want to learn from you. Um, activists, people who fight for justice. They fight for mercy in our city, in their neighborhood, and they experience God while doing that. Or caregivers, people who love and disciple and nurture another. And as they care for others, man, there's something that just brings their soul alive to God. Enthusiasts, people who love mystery and celebration. They just love to like think about big things about God and then just party um, and, and with purity. And uh, contemplatives, uh, had to add that here. Um, but uh, contemplatives, uh, people that just like, they're more introverted. Silence and solitude is something that is life-giving for them. They want to spend time just like uh, being alone with God and, and being present. If you are a high introvert, you're like, this is, this is me. Yes, we know you're here and we're glad you're here. Uh, and then intellectuals, people who just love to study the scriptures, be in podcasts, read books. I mean, they have Evernote files of the books they're reading and the things they're learning and they love that. That's how they connect with God. You probably find yourself on, on a few of these and stronger in other of these. And let me just say, there's a real license to say, hey, how do you connect with God? And that is the question. It's not just like, okay, like, well, like, let's do the Sensate one because I want to hang out more in restaurants. Like, if that's how you connect with God, then great. Uh, if that takes you away, if that removes, robs your affections from God, then maybe it's something you need to, to yeah, I mean, it's not wrong to do, but it's just like, okay, monitor that. Uh, but it's like, okay, how do you connect with God? And then follow where you find life. But then on the other side, you also need to follow where you would desire growth. That's like question four for you here. Uh, but just to jump down there, where you want, need being invited to grow. Because maybe you're, maybe you're just the biggest of extroverts and you experience God in community life and just experiencing him there and being in discipleship and being in relationship. And that's great. But do you still need silence and solitude? Do you still need time alone with God? Absolutely. Or maybe you're a high introvert, and man, you love just being alone with God and being pressing into all these things that are kind of like traditionally like, oh, you're like better with the disciplines, and you are better with some of them. But you still need community. You still need to experience God in celebration. Now, there might be ones that you're more drawn to, you press into more in different seasons. But there's always the sense of like, okay, just like any good workout, maybe there's an area of life where like, man, I just feel the weakness. And like a good workout for me would be to say like, okay, what is a spiritual discipline that can, yes, I experience God here and I want to press intentionally into this one. That my life is chaotic and disarrayed and I never stop. And every time I try to stop and have a Sabbath, my heart just goes crazy because I can't turn off the achiever. And maybe that's something where like, okay, that's an area to step into and be invited into growth. Two other questions here. Got to go quick. 
What people, places, and activities do you need to avoid because they deplete you and make it difficult for you to remain anchored in Christ? This doesn't mean you get to avoid everyone you don't like or find annoying. But it does mean that sometimes certain entertainment or amounts of, you know, just what you watch or, you know, uh, just getting too hurried or going beyond your limits as a human being um, are just going to deplete you and, and rob you. And it's just writing this down. I mean, this isn't, you have to solve this all tomorrow. It's just writing this down and continually deciding, okay, how am I going to try to arrange life? Um, not that life will not always have struggle and be hard and be, be pressing us and it'll be, be, that'll be very real things. But how do I, um, again, disciple myself and maybe figure out, okay, are there ways that I need to say no more, be intentional more? Because I know if I get hurried, all of spiritual growth in life and, and happiness in Christ goes out the window. Uh, last, what are the have-tos that impact your rhythms and season of life? Caring for small children or aging parents or both. That's going to affect just how you practice in a season. If you have a really demanding season of work, it's going to change how you go about these things. Now, it doesn't mean like, okay, that means I just got to check out. It just means, okay, that's a reality, and I want to live in that reality and then also be intentional in that reality. And so just to wrap these, um, this is just our invitation to say, like, you're like, man, we haven't even gone through all the disciplines. Like, how am I supposed to add them in? Well, just start with where you're at. Take inventory with where you are and, and press into the invitation of both to grow and to experience God and to where you're, you know, just like figure out where you're currently going. And as the year goes on, we're going to give you the information and give you the vision and give you the ideas and the tools to try to press into some of these other ones. But, but just take a place with where you're at and don't wait for the end of 2019. Start now. Start intentionally forming now with not the goal to become really good at the spiritual disciplines, but with the goal to become really connected to the Holy Spirit who brings you before your Father who is your God. That the goal of the spiritual disciplines, again, is not to get good at them. It's to be intimately connected with God. And so let's conclude our service as we always do with the discipline of the bread and the cup. The reminder for all of those who are in Christ that your hope and all that you are putting yourself, all that your eternity is based on, all that your life and your growth and everything is not going to come from your effort, but it's going to come from the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, your Lord. And so in a moment, I invite you to come, take a piece of the bread, tear it off, and dip it the cup. Gluten-free option up here. There'll be stations around the room to come when you're ready. Let me pray for us now. Father God, I pray for you to let us live in these tensions, Lord, and not be people that try to earn our salvation, but rather those who feel invited to participate with you in changing. And let us not just do that and just a hope of, God, I'm sure you'll work out this some way, but rather let us step into these opportunities that you've given us and that you've revealed and that you yourself and you walked this earth participated in. Lord, let us not make following Jesus some trite cliche, but rather let us make it a, a way that we are saying, no, we want to look more and more like our Savior because we want to function the way that we are designed. We want to be fully alive and have life to the full. Lord, not because um, we're not loved. We're loved as a beloved son and daughter. And then as we do that, we step into this freely to enjoy you and to bring your kingdom into this world. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.